Welcome to The Flute and I. Join me, Ashling Agnew, as we explore the unique world of the flute in Northern Ireland. World-renowned players, teachers and makers from a wide variety of musical backgrounds share their experiences and expertise. This episode features the well-known traditional flute player, Brendan Mulholland. Okay, well thanks a million for talking to me, Brendan. Thank you very much for uh, for asking me on. It's oh, great. I've been listening to your podcasts and they're they're great, especially for a flute geek like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to get started asking you about your background in playing the flute and how you got into it. Well, years and years and years ago, <laughs> I'm in my 47th year now, but back when I was about probably eight, eight years old, um, mum and dad took me and my brother Stephen. There was a guy come out after a mass on Sunday. Um, this is up at the Rock, St Peter's the Rock, uh, mm-hmm. near Hannestown. And uh, there was a guy come in called Jerry O'Donnell from Belfast, and he taught the tin whistle. And I think we went to it for maybe about four or five months, maybe, you know, after mass on Sunday. You had your wee whistle, you know, <laughs> and then you went. So then he stopped coming out, and then uh, one of my friends, Mark Mulligan, his father, Stephen Mulligan, great character, he knew about the McPeaks down in Clannard. So we were the country boys, like real proper country bumpkins. And so every Saturday night, these country lads jumped into the car with their mums and dads, and we went down to Francie McPeak. So that would have been in around 1982, 83. And uh, my older brother, Stephen, progressed onto the banjo. The whistle is a great starter, you know, to introduce people to Irish music. So he went on to the banjo. My friend Mark went on to the fiddle. And I was absolutely useless at the whistle. <laughs> I wasn't particularly, still wouldn't be, very academic at school. I wasn't just education and books and that type of thing. It just didn't, it didn't click with me. So for years, I stayed on the whistle. From I was about eight or nine. I just wasn't making any headway at all. And then Francie handed me a flute, right? And he says, I want you to take that home and blow the SH1T out of it. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. <laughs> and uh, I was so excited. I was really excited. Even the smell of the instrument and everything. It was one of these old, sort of nearly Baroque flutes. But lo and behold, I could blow it. I just could play it. And it was the first thing that I could ever really do and do well. And I think because, you know, going through school and, you know, not doing particularly well or whatever, and... Uh, I was useless at football, but I could blow the flute. Mm -hmm. And it made such a connection, like right from the word go. And I'm not joking you, I played that flute that week. My mother had to lift the flute off me, (laughs) tell me to stop playing, just stop playing. And I couldn't get enough of it. And that's, I was probably, I think I was 11. And the following week, then I got cassette tapes from Paddy Davey of Matt Malloy. And that was it. I would say from I was 11 until I was about 17, I never stopped listening to Matt Malloy 
and people like that and played the flute. So that was my introduction. A positive note from the word go and that was it. That's beautiful. So you've had that like obsession right from the start and it's carried on through. Yeah, it's, it's still like a, even today. Like I remember back then, I was thinking, you know, a controversial character, Jimmy Savile. I was going to write to Jimmy Savile and go, can I meet Matt Malloy? Right, because he's my hero. You know, cause these people meeting their heroes like Kenny yeah. Daglish or, you know, Barry Sheen, <laughs> famous people, singers like Elton John, you know. But over recent years, you know, I've got to know Matt a little better. And uh, to cut a long story short, I was supposed to spend a full day with him last year, which is mm-hmm. like an honour. It's just the man is my absolute hero. Like I love all types of flute players, but I really, really have Matt here. Right. Yeah. And I was so excited to spend the day with him, but it didn't happen because of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to him lately, and we're going to do it this year, maybe later in the year. So what I love about Irish music is, you know, you can spend a day with your hero, sit in his pub, play tunes with him, you know, and try and not act starstruck. <laughs> but like if you were into, you know, if what's the chances of sitting down with like Slash the guitar player if you're into rock music? What's the chances of sitting down, you know, with Elton John? You know, give us an old shade there, Elton. But you yeah. can, that's the good thing about Irish music. There is no superstars. So you can rub shoulders with your heroes and sit down and play with these amazing musicians who give their time and that freely. So that's yeah. another real appeal about the flute, that Irish music for me. And you were telling me that unlike quite a lot of flute players that dabble a lot in whistles and stuff, you're a bit more pure about it. You know, you, you really are a 100% flute player. Yeah, it's probably because I'm crapping the whistle, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I would be 100% a flute player. I find the, the whistle for me, it's uh, the best whistle players are quite staccato you know, using the the tip of the tongue and stuff. But with the flute, you know, we're using the glottal stops, okay? It's always interesting teaching a classical player. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of teaching online. A classical didn't stop using the tip of the tongue and use the glottal stop. But my flute playing would be 70% legato, and then there are 30% staccato, which comes from the glottal stop. So if I want to play the whistle, it just, it's all over the place. (laughs) I can play a few tunes in the whistle, but I stick with the flute. Well, you're doing pretty well with it, so I think... I'm getting getting the hang of it, I think. (laughs) I left school at 16 and became an electrician. And, you know, my folks didn't play music. They would have been very encouraging with music, obviously, but they they didn't play or whatever. So at that stage, you know what I mean, I could work the weekends and get a few extra quid and all the rest of it. But by the time I was about 18, some of these folk bands were asking me to join them. You know, the ballad bands around Belfast, like Blackthorn, Mm -hmm. Shoot the Crow was known play for them for a wee while. But I started to play with them in the Elms and the Wednesday night and then the weekends, you know, doing weddings and stuff and all that. And that's when I really learned how to improvise. Okay. Okay. Um, and how to entertain. Because there was some great traditional musicians, brilliant at playing tunes. And then there was other musicians that were great at accompanying the music, the melody. But it was hard to get somebody that could do both. So I, I realised quickly, do you know what? I can get a good bit of work here, mm-hmm. you know, diving in with these bands and it's much easier than pulling knocking walls down <laughs> putting cables through so I learned in the early days how to improvise and how to play around that in different keys and stuff and all that so then I wanted to take it a bit more serious so then in 2007 was my first sort of serious recording with Paul McSherry and Brendan Henry and an album called Tuned Up and 
it was fun to do that and it was a good album and it certainly got all our names out there and you know playing tv a time or two and so that was really the start of me taking it a lot more serious when I always took it serious I mean professionally were you still working as an electrician at that time like yeah I I've been working for 30 years I'm a full-time musician from July of last year (laughs) nobody believes when you say it but yeah I've been working right up to 2020 now it was always my ambition to be a full-time professional musician Mm -hmm. okay so I chose the absolute worst time you know the pandemic Mm -hmm. but I got a redundancy from my job I was in and I was within about a year and a half Ashling or two years of you know wanting to go full-time anyway my kids are 15 and 13 now so they're well up and I've a very supportive wife so when you asked about the groups and stuff that I was in I was never actually a member of any band never have been Um, I played and lots of different bands as a, a deputy or, or, you know, standing in. Creve Rue, done quite a bit of touring with them through England, America and that. And played a lot with singers, mm-hmm. Grania Holland. I love improvising and writing songs and stuff. But all the while, I was always working. So that's why in this past couple of years or three years, um, I started up a trio with uh, my good friends, Connor Lamb and Deirdre Galway, called Music in the Glen. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as that CD was recorded... Then I wanted to have a duo with my good friend, Mickey McCluskey, absolute wizard on the guitar. I've been playing with Mickey for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And we always end up playing with singers, lots of different singers. And we think the same. Mickey's originally a rock guitar player. So his approach to music is very, very different. And that's what really appeals to me. But so we went into the studio and then we brought out Mulholland McCluskey. Mm -hmm. So we are an official duo. So those are two acts established in this past sort of three years with the view before coronavirus, you know, that I was going to go full time and would have enough work between the trio and the duet and also, you know, doing other bits and pieces, you know, sure. touring and whatever. So that's that's the journey. That that was my journey. So now I'm I'm full time with no gigs, just loads of Skype teaching. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of us, yeah. Yeah, like a lot of musicians, yeah. in that duo for like 20 years you can actually really hear it in your recording it's like total musical telepathy when you are playing together yeah we just have this i don't know what it is i just love music actually i just love music and i'm not i don't feel bound by anything right there's only two types of music in my opinion good music and bad music right that's it it's simple it's good or it's bad right and if it's bad i don't say nothing and if it's good i just i'm so into it i listen to rock music you know well i'd rather learn it slash metal <laughs> but some heavy metal is actually all right um uh, growing up you know mum and dad like country music uh they listened to a lot of local country music but i loved uh, you know the chris Christopherson, huge johnny cash fan brilliant um merle haggard people like that i just love all i love that twang not yeah. the health um so i grew up listening to that abba erasure alison Moye. Annie Lennox, 
At the same time, I would be listening flat out to like Mont Malloy, Planksty, mm-hmm. Conal O'Grada, Kevin Crawford, Chieftains, you know, but I just love music. So whenever I was playing in the, the, the folk bands and ballad bands like years ago, whatever would be the latest thing in the charts that would come out, you know, mm-hmm. I would walk 500 miles, you know, and all this. Mm-hmm. So you would figure out a way, you know, and it could be something that you just triggered in your head. You've been listening to some pop or jazz or whatever it is, and that would filter in to the plan. So I never felt bound by, oh, it has to be traditionally strictly Irish. You know what I mean? Whilst I have the biggest respect for Irish traditional music, and that technically that that is what I am, uh, when I want to play pure straight, I can do that, okay? But I have enough respect for the music that there's other influences. So I, I look at it like it's like a journey, mm-hmm. you know, Another one of the things that hit me like a train was Jean-Michel Villon. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. And he's influenced me as much probably as what Matt Malloy has. Mm-hmm. And whilst I'm not a Breton musician, I can play a few Breton tunes, you know, um, nowhere near the level those guys play them. But there's traits of that have definitely filtered their way in to my playing. Sort of unknown to me nearly sometimes. Mickey McCluskey would listen to a lot of Asturian music, Bulgarian music. And things like that. So he's these different rhythms and it makes me play slightly different. He's one of the only accompanists that when I play with him, he drags about another 5% out of me that if I wasn't playing with him, I wouldn't push myself to do that. But it's the edge of the seat stuff with him, mm-hmm. you know, on a creative level. Yeah, that's beautiful. So hopefully whenever things settle down, there'll be plenty of touring for you and Mickey and also for the trio as well. That's kind of the plan. Yeah, well, <laughs> I hope so. When I was growing up, I always remember that you could never get to hear a flute player just playing on their own, right? So if you went to see the Chieftains, it was like, I was, right, that's great, lads. When's Matt Malloy doing the solo here, you know? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, that's, that's what I want to hear, and I want to hear it all night. <laughs> and I remember, like, I was real young, you know, like a Marcus O'Mara who was mm-hmm. coming to Belfast and maybe playing with Paddy Keenan or something, and I was just, when's the flute solo coming? And, and you had to wait, you had to wait and wait to hear the flute, you know? And it always struck me, why could, I, why could you never jump in the car and go and hear a flute concert? Mm-hmm. And when Jean-Michel Villon and Ivan Ryu come over here, first time I met them, 20 years ago at least, Davy Maguire introduced me to them, they were going around Ireland and they were doing just flute and guitar and it just resonated with me. I went, that is just incredible. And they were touring the world doing stuff like that. Callum Stewart from Scotland, one of the guys does the same, uh, Sylvain Baru, another guy, Aaron Mengwe, and a young young fella that I taught, Michelle Vermeulen. So you, these guys in Europe going around, just guitar flute or bazooki flute. Mm. And I was like, Do you know what? There's nobody in Ireland that's really doing that. And I love listening to Martin Hayes, you know, and Dennis Cahill, and that intimacy that they would have in their music. So I just, I goes, right, that's it. Me and Mickey, we've played with so many people and been in so many recordings. It's time that we get together and do our thing and establish ourselves as a flute and guitar. Not a flute, it's a duet, proper duet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but the pandemic hit. (laughs) So hopefully after that all settles down, yeah, we did did have a few gigs planned for France and Germany. Um, There was one in Scotland and maybe a couple of local ones here, but hopefully they'll come back. You know? Yeah, for sure. And will you tell me a wee bit about what you've been up to in the pandemic? And I know you do quite a bit of online teaching and you're teaching people from all over the place, not just locally. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank God for teaching online, as I'm sure you know yourself, Ashley. Mm-hmm. It's been great. I started teaching, I think my solo album came out, Jeans Hill, in 2012. And then from, from that, I got asked to teach quite a bit in Europe, some of these festivals, especially Belgium. But I remember being at these festivals and people are going, would you teach online? You know, I was going, no, 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 you don't teach online. That's no way to learn the flute. <laughs> you have to be up and have the crack and see what my fingers are doing. And, and you know, like you wouldn't learn online until uh, a musician who's quite wise from Ireland here, I won't mention any names. He says, Mulholland, he says, you're missing out on a bit of a trick there. <laughs> I was going, why? He says, these people want to learn from you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They could go to anybody, but they will learn from you. So about five or six years ago, I, I did, got the computer and started teaching online. And I quite enjoyed it. I didn't do much of it in this past, maybe, say, before the pandemic, because I was busy recording and I was working full time. So, you know, your family life and working full time, I didn't have time. So I put it to the one side. But I did have a, a handful of students or more than a handful. I had a good base of students. So when the pandemic hit and I was furloughed from my job and then eventually got paid off, I started to take the teaching a lot more serious, Skype teaching. So I started doing this thing called... It was the autumn flute school, then I've done the winter flute school, and I've got students who want to do the spring flute school. So you book three lessons in advance, mm-hmm. and I start teaching. So I've got, oh my God, a good lot of French, German, American, and one guy from Slovenia. Mm-hmm. I taught a guy from Russia, believe it or not, is it perfect English? A few Australians, and there's a few from Ireland here as well, but a guy from Sweden as well. So like my, my day yesterday was... I taught a guy from Sweden at 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. At 2 o'clock, I taught a German lady mm-hmm. on her lunch break, an accountant, classical player. And then yesterday evening, I was teaching a guy from Italy, Pedro, a retired guy who's taken to the flip. So my day is quite interesting. And you're hearing all the stories of the coronavirus in Italy and in Sweden. And, you know, so you have that at the start of the conversation and you just start playing flutes and so that's what I've been doing for about a, coming up in a year now. <laughs> it's amazing to have that connection with people, isn't it? And we were it chatting really a bit about music crossing so many boundaries. And you find that as well locally here, like before pandemic and you were teaching in person, just meeting lots of different types of people through that as well. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I love about music. OK, I'm a music lover, but in Irish music, it breaks down all barriers. OK, it doesn't matter to most Irish musicians, what religion you are, what creed you are, what age you are, or what money you have. If, if me and you sit down to play the Solly Gardens Reel, we sit down to play it and we have a bit of crack and a few variations. And, you know, um, but I remember uh, about maybe six or seven years ago, you know, I got a phone call from a lad and he goes, hello, Brenton, you're the, you're the, you're, you're the flute man. I goes, yes, I'm the flute man. Wrangler <laughs> Navy, I, I, I'm known as the flute man. And he goes, you're the flute man. He says, are you doing lessons? He says, yeah, you just come up to the house, sure. And he goes, now, he says, my background's very different than yours. I don't know why you teach boys like me. So I knew sort of what was coming. I says, look, I says, if you play the flute and you're interested in flutes, I says, you're coming to the right house. I don't do religion and I don't do politics, but I do do music, especially flutes. Uh-huh. So this guy comes in, big guy in all the tattoos. <laughs> and uh, he had to be Miller Brown. Uh, so he comes in anyway, really nice guy. And uh, he had a Keyless uh, Hammy Hamilton. And we sat down and we just hit it off. We just like started talking flutes. And he was as passionate about it as what I was. He wanted to know about the Irish flute. And I was interested to know about the marching flutes and all the rest of it. So the one thing I picked up was I couldn't get him to play the low octave. Or he struggled to play the low octave. And he goes, yeah. but Brett, we never played low octave. Everything was third. We played the odd second. 
It was just mostly it was. I was going seriously. So that's why as zombies were so powerful. So I had to like strip my way back. So as a teacher, I learned somebody that's from a marching background, and I've taught a couple of Americans from marching backgrounds, and their ambushers are so shrill, but you have to sort of relax them a bit. Yeah. And from that there, he had obviously said to a few of his friends, you know, from the, the marching tradition, and they have contacted me, and I'm friends with these guys to come out to the sessions in Glen Avey here, and it's great. Mm-hmm. Breaks down all divides, so that's what I love about it. Yeah. It's, and it's great that you're learning stuff as well from them. Like it's a real yep. exchange. It's not just one-sided kind of thing, you know. No. Nope. Sorry to backtrack here, Brendan, but like tell me a wee bit about the start of your playing career because, I mean, I know you were obviously obsessed as a teenager mm-hmm. and then you started working, but, I mean, there must have been really dedicated learning. Like were you doing festivals or studying with anybody at the time to get you to where you've obviously got to as such a great player? Like how did that journey kind of <laughs> progress? Um Probably just sheer obsession. <laughs> um, no, I, I never had a teacher. I never had a music teacher in my life. Uh, I can't read music either. But it just there's there's something about the sound of the flute that just appeals to me so much. And I love all types of music, but there's something about the wooden flute. It's just I just love it. So whilst I, I did work full time on all the rest of it, it actually was an advantage because I was lucky enough when I started to play some of the folk bands and you know we ensembles and stuff with my brother and that trios and that I would have played in I had the luxury of not doing loads and loads of like say gigs that some full-time musicians didn't really want to do but they had to do it for the money so I was lucky enough that I got selected you know different bands Brent could you come away to England with us or this and that and they would give me a list of tunes to learn and I would just sit for hours and hours at night and learn these tunes and learn them off by heart and then, you know, you're going to festivals. So I went from maybe doing one or two of those a year to maybe doing six or seven or eight in a year. So most of my holidays when I was working full time, I was using to go to festivals. I think the longest I went away was a three week tour, not a three week tour, done a good lot of 10 days, two week tours. But I did have to turn a lot of work, music work down because I couldn't be away for months at a, at a time. My parents and that and wider family would have been music's just a hobby. That's just something that you do. You know, you go out and you work and you graft. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. But I, I did do that. I've done both. Yeah. <laughs> but I never had a minute. I just it used to be when I was in work, people said, "Did you see that on TV? Did you see it?" I never watched TV. I was always too busy listening to music playing the flute. And now that I have more time, I still I'm very disciplined. You know, I have a, a daily practice routine. I teach a lot of technique. So and I always say to the students, spend 15, 20 minutes just practicing these techniques, blowing technique. I said, but no other Irish teacher tells us, I just, I'm telling you to do it, do it, right? Okay. So and I picked this up from Jean-Michel Vaillant. Even if you have no time to play tunes, practice your technique. So I don't even consider that playing. That's just something you do every day, right? Yeah. And then if I have it done and teach for a few hours and maybe learn a tune, I've actually got time to sit and watch TV, so when people are talking about TV programs now, I actually know what they are. I go, you know, I've seen that. I've seen that. And it's my sisters and my brother was going, so unusual for you to talk about TV because for like 30 years, you never mentioned it. <laughs> You've got 30 years of watching to catch up on now. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about your family life a wee bit, Brendan. Do your kids play music? Have you passed that on to them a wee bit? Um, I tried and failed miserably. Um, my son, Sean, he's 15 now. I'm looking up at him now, he's taller than me. And uh, he was great on the whistle. He went to Paddy Davy 
Paddy Davies is a great teacher, as you well know. And uh, so I took him to Paddy and I sort of taught him and he totally had it. But he had no interest. And I always said, I'm not going to be one of these parents that's going to force yeah. their kids to play. Because I wasn't forced to play. And it just happened organically. My daughter tried a bit of singing for a while, tried her on the whistle, but it just wasn't happening. But they're so used with musicians. Like I could, pre-coronavirus, could be sitting in the kitchen with a fiddle player, banjo player, guitar. You know, when they were young, I had the full Creevery band. <laughs> and I live in a small house. Uh, in the kitchen playing, and they're upstairs. You know, they're used going to bed with the sound of the flute. When I was working full time, I played nearly every day from 10 o'clock at night to 12 o'clock. Those two hours, I always played. So they were used to music in the house, but they just never followed it on. But I live in hope. interesting thing, Samurai, the flute maker from Belfast. He says, you don't play the flute anymore, Brent. He says, the flute plays you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what he meant and then until I heard it years later from Neil Martin from Belfast. He says, I think yeah. that flute plays you now, Brent. And uh, I think maybe they're right. <laughs> Tell me a wee bit about the flutes that play you then, Brendan. What kind of flutes are you? <laughs> um, well, done the, done the usual crack, you know, I think I started playing the flute probably in around 1983. And um, I had the loan of a flute from Francie McPeak mm-hmm. for six months. And then, unknown to me, Santa Claus brought me my first flute, Keyless Flute. Sam Murray, I still have it, it's in the kitchen. And I opened it up and I just couldn't believe it. It was like the best Christmas present I ever got. I always remember opening the case up. God, it's a leather case. I can still smell the leather. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had my own flute. So I played that flute until I was about 18 then I, I wanted a keyed flute because I wanted to do variations and this half hole wasn't working so I went and bought myself a Ruddle and Rose and it was a great flute when you played it on its own but like a lot of these flutes in my naivety I didn't realise it wasn't totally in tune before 40 mm-hmm. so you used to have to pull the head right out when you're in sessions and <laughs> It was just, it wasn't it wasn't working, but it was great to play on its own. I can only play an E-flat with the, the Black Malloy album. So I took it to Sam Murray and I was going, could you do anything? He says, I could. He says, I could make you a new flute. <laughs> <laughs> so typical Sam poker face, you know. And so Sam made me a six-keyed flute and uh, he actually sold the Ruddle and Rose for me. So from that there, I played those Sam Murray six-keys, had a couple of them, up them to about maybe 17, 18 years ago. Then, you know, I was listening a lot to Kevin Crawford, Mike McGoldrick, and that nice clean studio sound that they had, 
you know, you just you become wiser, you know, about, about the sound and stuff. And you realise that, you know, what I mean, you're playing behind a microphone at a gig and they're not working nowhere near as hard as what I'm having to work sure. on the Samurai. Well, Samurai is a great flute. But for me, I was looking something different. So I met Mike Grinter and then I ordered a D flute off Mike. And eight key, and it was based on a Ruddle Rose, and it was lovely. Mm-hmm. So I played it for a good while. And then uh, when I was over in Brittany, I met the guy that made this flute here. Mm-hmm. This is a Morvan, Stefan Morvan. It's an incredible flute. And he made me an eight key flute. And I liked it, but I didn't love it. I'm always in the search, I'm always looking for the next thing. Then, about six months after I got that, I met. Sylvain Baru over at a teaching weekend we were doing in Belgium and he had the new model of this Morvan and played it and it was like one of the best flutes I've ever played. So Stefan Morvan then made me this one here I have and I've been playing it ever since so I have that one about four years and it's just it's one of these flutes that can play loud in a session if you need it to but also it can play so quietly in the second octave which I really like. Yeah. So when it plays the harmonic notes very well, I don't play a lot of harmonic notes in Irish music, but I do practice them. It's one of these technique things that I have, like doing the one-handed scale, mm-hmm. you know, so your first, second harmonic, a third octave. It plays through that range effortlessly, even though maybe 40% of those notes I won't use in Irish music, but I practice and play them every day. And that yeah. flute there makes that happen a lot easier. Yeah, I actually noticed that on your last recording, though, when I was listening to it, like your ease of playing up there was really beautiful. It felt very natural whenever you when you play a bit higher. Yeah. Again, it's just it's just listening a lot to different flute players over the years. You know, I mean, some of these Breton guys are amazing. You know, they would experiment with harmonic notes. It's just incredible, I think, what to do. And then, you know, I listened lately to Anna Besson, a French girl. She plays uh, early period music. And just listening to her playing some of the waltzes that she plays, you know, that real high and so clean. Mm-hmm. I find that fascinating. So when you play with somebody like, say, Mickey, that's more experimental, mm-hmm. it opens up a path. Yeah. And I just naturally want to do it. But I would be practicing them every day. Mm-hmm. You know, that's I, I teach a lot of technique. I have like, you know, the three T's, tone, timing, technique. You know, you need all three of those. It was Jean-Michel Villon said to me years ago about some of the classical players and the techniques that they would use. He says, whilst he wouldn't follow their exact techniques, but their approach, he says, you want to research that. So I, I took him on his word and I did. And I remember hearing James Galway playing in Mandela Hall. It was a concert thing I was invited to play at, but I was listening to him intently backstage and he was going through these like arpeggio type things. And I was going, do you know what? You could do worse than try that. <laughs> but he was using the tip of the tongue to do it. And then I took it to the glottal stop. So I, I used it, what he was doing, but done it with glottal stops. And I find that that gave you a real control mm-hmm. better if you do it every day. And then the seven things with the fingers, cuts, taps, rolls, crans, trills, finger vibrato, and slides so if you take those seven things glottal stop and good tone that makes nine things so it's usually i tell my students is it, it can only be one of nine things and if you practice those nine things individually you'll get better at them and your ear will get better at listening to what they're doing sounds a bit mad but that's me oh, that's fantastic <laughs> it's interesting to me how a lot of people that play the flute will use the tongue in the inside of their mouth to articulate. So to or yeah. to sound is the most common. 
But here in Belfast, it used to be taught anyway that you tongue between your lips. So whenever I was starting, you would put your tongue just slightly at the front, like you were spitting a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And that would be how you'd see people like James Galway articulate. And especially if he's playing really punchy in the low register, because you get a really clear start to the note. It's interesting here how you would have that extreme of like at the very front of the tip of the tongue outside the lips and then right back in the throat. It's a lot yeah. different to just inside the mouth. Well, the throat, the glottal stop, it's a really interesting one. Like, if you listen to somebody like, say, tremendous player, like, say, Conal O'Grada, and his glottal stops, it's not using the term, it's all glottal. Most, like, nearly all Irish players will be using the glottal stop. His is that punchy. You know, you can hear it over the tone. It, <laughs> it's brilliant. Like, it's just incredible. Like, and especially when you're sitting beside him and you can hear it. And he's a loud player to start with. It's just, it's just amazing. And then Matt Malloy is doing as much, but his is more subtle. But I guarantee you, like, that's what he's doing. And what I would tell students is, if you record yourself playing a bit of music and you find there's a phrase in it and it's a bit lazy or it's a bit loose, put in glottal stops, use your throat, I guarantee you, it cleans it up. It always works. Some people say, how do you get your rolls so clean? Well, you do have to practice them. <laughs> but the note, cut, tap, note, element so practice the cuts practice the taps it's usually always the tap that lets people down so i just practice your taps and i give them wee exercises to practice taps and then the next thing the rolls become better and then people say note cut tap note introduce a glottal stop at the start of the roll and then it becomes even cleaner mm-hmm. yeah, okay so you can play them legato as well but then you can play them nice and clean and that's how you get that clean sound but it took me it took me a good while to figure out how to teach that, but I've had plenty of experience now. So I, I remember being at a workshop in Belgium and Jean-Michel Villon done the Breton side and then had the Irish side, which I done that. Mohamed um, Alls taught at this and John Wynn, another extremely great flute player. And uh, it was a couple of the students said to me, and it really made me think, it's going, Brendan, we want to know what's the difference when you when we played the cash jig what's the difference we're all playing all the right notes but when you play it it sounds different right <laughs> and it really stumped me because i didn't have the i didn't have an answer Ashling. i just thinking <laughs> right you know um i was going but you are playing the right notes it sounds great no but we heard you in the session last night and you didn't say <laughs> i know but i was probably drinking too much beer at the session <laughs> i know but that's how we want to sign so it struck me and I remember thinking about this flying home and the flight was delayed. And I was really like, really thinking about it. And I was thinking, what are all the technical elements on the flight from your blowing to your articulation and to everything that you do in your fingers? So what I don't know, I, I devised the thing that I break everything down into its simplest form and you teach that. So you make, you make a student aware they might be able to play roles, but they don't realize they're doing the cut on the tap. And you go, no, but practice them separately. Do you hear? And then practice them in the second octave. Then they make the flute bark a bit as well. Oh, can you do that? Yeah. So once you explain all this to people, then they have the tools in the toolbox to go and do it. So I've, I've learned a lot over the years. It is nice whenever somebody asks you how it is that you do something, you have to kind of go away and figure it out. Teaching sometimes brings you on that wee bit of self-discovery, I suppose. When classical players come to you for lessons, Brendan, is it largely to develop like Irish playing or or what are they looking for? Yeah, I teach more than a few classical players. And uh, 
they, they just want to learn the Irish technique way of playing. This is the best way to explain this. But I had a, had a German lady, good classical player, and she was using the tip of the tongue. So she was playing the cast jig, and it would have been sort of like this, you know. So we've all heard that, you know what I mean? And there's probably nothing wrong with that. But when I would be at a session and you see a classical player coming in, that's sometimes you would hear that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's going, right, you need to be 70% legato, let it flow, mm-hmm. and then use the throat. So to try to get them to do the glottal stops. But this lady was struggling with this. I kept just coming. So I don't read music and I don't play classical music. So I says, look, I says, you obviously played the Four Seasons for Valdi. Oh, yes. I love that tune. Right. So listen, right? Now, just, you can play that as a jig, mm-hmm. right? Just, what do you mean? Let's listen. Okay, so one and a two and a three and a four, one and a two and a three and a four, and then I just use your throat, and then I started the, then I started the come. I goes, there you go. Valvaldi sorted the problem out. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a sort of that's I'm a sort of for the Irish Four Seasons record. <laughs> four seasons in one day. So um, I have I've I've bits and pieces of fun like that. To down to your question, the, the most of the classical players they can already play a good a good lot of Irish tunes, and it's just getting those wee lilts yeah. and stuff. The one thing that I do pick up is that. They're nearly asking, well, what's the rules? What 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 are you allowed to do? What it has gone? You really have came to the wrong teacher. <laughs> and I says, whatever way you find it cool to do it, that's the way you do it. So you it, it's a flute journey. So all those influences that you've had in your classical world, as long as it flows, you know, I'm I'm a great one for rhythm. It has to have real rhythm. Kelly, some Kelly bands play reels about 120 beats. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that's fast. It's for dancing. And then I find the sweet spot where you can get a nice groove in your music for reels for me would be in around 112 beats. Okay. There's a nice swing and you always have time to breathe and you can always fly off and do a variation and come back. You're not rushing. You're never having to fight to get the breath. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I'm, I'm a good one for rhythm because I don't read music and I have to feel it. I want to really feel it. Then that's, I'm, I'm away. Well, I do like playing uh, in B flat, the bigger flutes. This one here, Australian one. What I like playing about the the B flat flutes is, I think it helps with your embouchure because you have to be more relaxed. Yeah. Like you can't play it right, really, really fast because it doesn't sound right, and so it softens your approach. So I play that tune uh, on that Holland McCluskey album, The Parting Glass, mm-hmm. and it's just tailor made for yeah. stuff like that. It doesn't sound the same on the D flute. So I find that when I play the lower range flutes, it makes me approach the tunes a lot different. Like I play two tunes on the Gene Hill album. Playing the B flat makes me change the key of the tune. So the Sully Gardens would normally be in the key of G. So when you change it onto the B flat. It makes you play like that. And it brings another wee element of music area. So... Yeah, like yeah. Matt Malloy would play a lot of minory stuff on the B flat. It really lends itself to the minor stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of like sorry, drowsy Maggie. You take any tune in E minor, 
play it on a B flat flute and play it slow and get the right strings behind you. It's lovely. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, Brendan, and sharing all your stories and your experiences. It's been so interesting to hear everything. <laughs> no, thank thank you so much, Ashling, for for asking. Uh, I have to say, it's you're doing great work promoting the flutes NI because it's just listen to your previous interviews. There's so many flute players of different types, you know, within North of Ireland. So many amateur players, as you say, who are just so enthusiastic and collectors as well. So keep up the good work, and I look forward to hearing tuning into the rest of your interviews. So thank Thanks you. Very much. Thank you. listening to the flute and i and thanks to all the wonderful artists that took part in the interviews i hope you've enjoyed this first series and i hope you'll join me again in the future <laughs>